Hello and welcome to a very special edition Establish the Million Thanksgiving. My name is Adam Levitan, joined by Michael Leone and Peter Jennings on today's show. Our goal is to talk about the three-game Thursday Thanksgiving slate tournaments from a sophisticated, educated, well-thought-out perspective. However, the real goal here... <laughs> Relax, have some fun, celebrate Thanksgiving. We got the drinking game on, which, by the way, if you guys have not seen, if you have not gotten a drink, any mention of the following things here will be required for a drink. Please drink responsibly. Leone, how's it going today? It's going well. I know this is your favorite holiday of the year, so I'm glad you get to celebrate with us. Yes, by far the worst week of the year. Nevertheless, I'm here and in good spirits. Peter, how's it going today? Yeah, I, you know, I've always given you shit over the years about not liking this holiday. We have maybe the biggest football week ever. Uh, huge college football slate Friday, Saturday as well. NFL Thursday, we have a Friday NFL game Sunday. So it's a lot of work, but hopefully we can make some money. Then it'll be a good week. You know, God forbid we could have Friday. God forbid, but no, no. Yeah. NFL has to take over every freaking day. We can't even get Friday. It's going to be Jets and Dolphins on Friday. We'll have the showdown content up for that as well anyways it is three o'clock in the afternoon here on a mountain time i have an incredible amount of stuff to do but as my dedication for the bit i have a bottle of the finest uh whiskey here canadian crown and then i also have a couple beers here rolling rock shout out pennsylvania leone what are you drinking today i've got some like generic red wine that's where we're at right now Generic red wine, my God. Uh, <laughs> Peter, I know, is in the midst of a drinking bet. Were you able to get out of the bet, a no drinking bet? Were you able to get out of the no drinking bet? What were the terms of the bet, and were you able to get out of it for this? Yeah, so I, I basically, like two weeks ago, told Shore and uh, Bass if I had a drink, it'd be a thousand bucks. And I told them that this was a, uh, you know, annual tradition and uh, it's for the brand and, uh, you know, Got this is a bit. We got to make some money, so I gotta you know drink some booze, I guess. Um, so I got out of it. I'll have to do something else in the future, but yeah, I haven't had a drink in a while, and I almost went nice red wine, but decided to go sour beers. So I got a, a variety Ooh, of nice. sour beers that I haven't tried before. Sipping Tropical. It's all the Sipping Odell brand, Colorado brand. So perfect. Any, anyone um, red have a high lie IPA in honor of Dink, who's just grinding the NBA streets here? Yeah, I was just going to say Dink and Leone normally do this show together to the point where uh, Leone's wife has to come in and give him waters and make sure that he is still alive by the end of the show. However, Dink, impossible for him to do the show this year. Just too much going on in the NBA streets. So we miss Dink. Shout out to him. Good luck out there in the NBA streets to anybody. Who is in it? Anyways, we're going to get to the slate here in a second. Before we do, two quick things. Both Establish the Run and The Solver are running Black Friday sales. For Establish the Run, head to the URL you see on the screen. Leone, if you can put us into the uh, shell, they'll be able to see the actual address here, the actual web address here right. for the sale. But basically, if you've never tried ETR in season before, you can get a week of access for just five bucks. That'll give you access to all our projections, content, shows, Discord, etc., for the next seven days, establish the run.com forward slash Black Friday, all one word there. Also, for the solver, solver is our sister company, I would call it tools company. If you have not yet tried the NFL tools there and are interested, code NFL50 for 50% off the DFS optimizer or the single game simulator or single lineup simulator or the 20 lineup simulator. Just be sure to use the link I tweeted earlier about the solver or the link on establish the run. And then also use your ETR email address when you sign up. That way, all our projections will auto-sync into the Opto and Sim in the Solver. So again, NFL 50 for 50% off the DFS Optimizer, single lineup simulator, 20 lineup simulator for anyone new at the Solver. All right. Three-game slate always presents different challenges, I think. Oh, I said Solver. Hold on one second. I said... Oh, yeah, yeah. We got to flash this up. I, you know. Yes. One second here. So everybody is aware of the rules of the game. Uh, I did say solver there. I'm repeating it now, not so that we drink more. I'm repeating it now just so everyone knows. Going for a little 
whiskey here. My kids will be home from school in roughly <laughs> no one call child services. However, I did say solvers. So cheers to everyone out there. All right. Just keep saying it, bud. We're going to be, we're just, just, just keep saying it. Oh, that tastes horrible. God, I hate alcohol so much. Okay. <laughs> three game slate here, Leone. My, my take on the three game slate, the overall concept I always think of is that it is hard to find pivots. In other words, there's only a few guys on this slate that can actually get 30 DraftKings points. And so when you start fading guys like Christian McCaffrey, CD Lamb, Dak Prescott, etc., Amon Ross St. Brown, it gets harder to find replacement value on those guys. So Leone, just generally high level, how do you think about three game slates from a tournament perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's challenging. I think you got to throw out the window a lot of things you're used to on a main slate in terms of, you know, the correlations that you're going to use. You can do much heavier stacking. Like you can have Dak with his defense and like three or four Dallas guys. Like things like that can work in terms of onslaughts. Um, the other thing is like not overthinking what needs to happen to win. You know, there's only three games. There's a possibility that none of these games shoot out, you know, in sh showdown, we see this a lot too, where, you know, people are like, zoning in on what the ceiling outcome is and like oh you know if Dak hits his ceiling that means Howell has to do this like you kind of gotta not think as narrow uh, on these slates which makes it difficult for sure because it's a little bit more vague it's you can play a little bit less heuristically but um yeah that's one of the key things for me is to try not to like overthink exactly the way things happen in order for me to win a tournament yeah I mean Peter we only have th we're only projecting three guys on this slate at the position, at the skill positions for 20 points or more. Amon Ross St. Brown, CeeDee Lamb, and Christian McCaffrey. Dak is the only quarterback we're projecting above 20 points also. And so a lot of the lineups are going to be trying to jam one, two, even three of these guys in. How do you think about the short slates here, Peter? Yeah, I mean, it's a better Thanksgiving slate than I think we've had in the past. We have a lot of expected scoring in these games. Uh, generally, short week leads to lower scoring, but we have some really good matchups, and we actually have a decent amount of value. So it seems like a pretty good slate. Um, there are some pivots. You know, St. Brown's interesting. We'll talk a ton about Dak and the receivers. Tony Pollard finally scored a touchdown last week. Um, there's a lot of ways that you can kind of build lineups. So I do think this is a better slate than we normally get. Uh, obviously there's only a couple guys that have like huge, huge ceilings, but, um, yeah, I think it's a pretty good slate and late swaps going to be super important, which I know we'll talk about. Yeah. Uh, late. So we're going to be going game by game here today, tomorrow on establish the show. I'll be with Wiggins and Silva. We'll go position by position. So we'll go game by game through this slate here. Just one more thing before we get into it. Leone late swap is going to be a huge factor. Number one, and how much salary you spend, I think is a factor too. certainly can get unique by leaving salary on the table. So yeah, any late swap or salary thoughts before we get into it here, Leone? Yeah, would definitely loosen the constraints when you run the optimal. You know, like I said with the correlation stuff too, like you can play players against your defense. You can play multiple teammates without the QB. You can reduce the, you know, minimum amount of salary that you spend. That's one way to get unique, especially in the large field stuff. As far as late swap, we're um, going game by game. We'll try and kind of talk through that. I know Dink absolutely loves this slate for the late swap. I've personally found it like easier in theory than in practice to know what to do in late swap on these slates because it feels like, you know, if, you know, Jamison Williams catches a touchdown at 3K early and it feels like you need to have them. But then, you know, if the Dallas stack goes nuke, you might, that might not be the case. So it can be a little bit challenging, but I think in small field stuff in particular, you really want to pay attention to what it looks like the cash game lineups are and what your opponents have. That's where you can start to pull some more levers. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of cash game lineups, they're going to be very heavily weighted towards Dallas. And it's only Tuesday here around 5 p.m. Eastern. But my initial thought was just like, man, Dallas stuff is going to be very, very, very owned for people playing the projections. Let's start with everyone's favorite Thanksgiving team. Finally, at long last, they're good. They're big favorites. Hashtag our Lions will be in the first game. I don't have any injuries really on this team there are a lot of injuries to watch for on this slate lion stuff is pretty clean here i think what one important thing that we saw this past week was the split between jameer gibbs and david montgomery jameer gibbs got a goal line carry of his own ads did 
Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs also sought six targets. Dave Montgomery only saw, only saw two, and both of Dave Montgomery's targets were at the end. So it's a pretty even split here, but we do have Jameer Gibbs about four points ahead in projection due to his pass-catching ability. Leone, if you want to sort to Detroit here on your screen, and then any Lions thoughts from you here as we start to go game by game. Yeah, I mean, Gibbs, we have we finally seen the efficiency from him too so that's part of the reason why he out projects montgomery and more work in the past game um i know talking with dank when we were setting this projection we are like a little bit worried that the lions go pretty run heavy their pass right over expectation numbers are pretty consistently negative when they've had both gibbs and montgomery and green bay kind of trends that way anyways in terms of what they allow and just not being that great of a team already so uh, we might have Detroit with less pass attempts than the market has. Um, I'm interested in Lions stacks. The guy that I think is the sneakiest one, Peter, is Laporta. They've dropped his price from 5,800 down to 5,200. I've played golf doubles each of the past two weeks uh, with Amon Ra and Laporta. Um, I believe you have the FanDuel pricing up there here, Leone, but on DraftKings, Laporta is only 5,200. Of course, Amon Ra is going to be among the most owned players on the slate. We have around 33% right now, but I think adding Laporta might be able to give you a little bit of uniqueness there. Peter, any thoughts on Lions stacks? Yeah, I mean, I think the Lions stuff makes sense. Uh, one comment in general that I've seen historically on these slates is people like to play the first game a lot you know they're they're ready to, to get into it uh one other thing with late swap uh people are drinking throughout the day I, I think of all the slates people make more mistakes on these thanksgiving days so with that in mind my concern i guess would be a little bit of ownership on the lions relative to kind of the the projections but i still like it and laporte is a really good pivot there's a there's a bunch of plays kind of on like these you know we have the lions the niners and the cowboys is like the three high team totals and there's pivots within those teams I think make sense. Uh, Laporta being a really good one. Um, obviously, St. Brown will be really chalky. But then, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to play Gibbs. So I'll be curious to see the the difference in ownership with Gibbs and Montgomery. Right now, we have about 20% difference. I think that probably makes sense. And then, yeah, Jamison Williams is really starting to come on. Uh, had a touchdown last week. Obviously, really talented player. Super fast. Uh, hasn't played that many games with the suspension and injury. But uh, certainly seems like a player who could continue to get more and more opportunity. Uh, three targets last week. I want to look at the route stuff, but um, you know he, he doesn't need to play that much to get a good score, given his like skill set and his price. The, the route stuff's really good for him. Uh, headed into the bye week, he hadn't hit fifty percent routes in a game. Week ten out of the bye week, fifty five percent route share. Last week, up to sixty six percent route share, even with DPJ active. So. I, I'm interested to see if he gets steamed up in, you know, if it feels like the guy that we're all going to wish cast this week, if he is played at our current ownership, I think he's a really good play this week yeah. with the way the rod share is trending and, and the big play upside. Yeah. So I'll say two things. First, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones was active for the first time last game. He only ran two routes. You don't see guys get big bumps on short weeks. In other words, everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off. And they are not going to say, oh, DPJ, let's get you integrated here before Thursday's game, especially considering Jamison Williams played well. Let me read you this quote from uh, Dan Campbell on Jamison Williams. He's part of the herd. He's been accepted. And the way he works and the way he goes and blocks and he's starting to run some pretty good routes and making some catches. There's a lot of guys that are beginning to trust him. And that's been earned. So, you know, it's been a rough ride, I think, for Jamison Williams, but seems like things are trending up. A few weeks ago, either two or three weeks ago, he had a touchdown called back by penalty. Last week, he gets the touchdown his, also. His two touchdowns turned back, uh, I believe. So, yeah. call back. I mean, yeah. So, at, at 7%, that's going to be one of the best tournament plays on the slate. I think he'll get up probably closer to 15%, 10%, somewhere between 10 and 15 on drafting specifically before it's said and done there. But, yeah. Generally, Leone, any thoughts on golf stacks here before we move on to the Packers? Yeah, I mean, even though ownership's going to follow, I think it's hard to not get on, you know, the three main teams, Peter said, with the high team totals. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about Packers in general, but just 
the scoring expectancy is pretty high, especially when we look at the full range of outcomes. We'll say that the Sims really do like David Montgomery and like the larger field tournament stuff uh, early on as, as a pretty good leverage play relative to how much he's going to be owned. And I think that ownership is a little bit safer than say um, Jamison Williams's ownership. So Sims, we have to, we have to drink. Uh, Sims and steamed is not on this year, but steamed was on last year. So cheers to everybody. A throwback drink for steamed. All right. Packers is a much more difficult conversation because they have a ton of injuries here on this short week. First, we are projecting Aaron Jones out. We are projecting Emmanuel Wilson out, expecting the, the backfield to look like A.J. Dillon as the feature back. Now, he is on the injury report with a groin issue. Doesn't sound serious. Expecting Dillon to be the feature back. I think he could get anywhere from 70 to 90% of the Packers running back touches. Leona, you can go ahead and flip the screen to Packers stuff now. So they also have Patrick Taylor. Now, Patrick Taylor was a guy that's been on the team for a while. The Patriots signed him to their practice squad at halftime of the game on Sunday. Packers call Patrick Taylor's agent, tell him we're signing you back to our active roster. We lost Aaron Jones. We lost Emmanuel Wilson. Our expectation is that I'll be Dylan again as the feature back. Patrick Taylor in some passing down situations, although Dylan has played in passing down situations the last two weeks, and then probably one of the practice squad guys, James Robinson, or something like that. Patrick Taylor and the rest of these guys are not in the player pool on DraftKings or FanDuel right now. We're not sure if they're going to add them. Dylan is an interesting conversation as a guy who has been inefficient, plotting, not known as a pass game guy. But his role could be awesome here, Leone. We do not have a great projection on him at 12.5 points on DraftKings. Why don't you talk through how we're projecting Packers running back? Yeah, we don't have him being like a crazy share of the work. We have him and Taller like somewhat close in terms of projected target share. We do have Dylan with a crazy workload on the ground, but we just had that as not super valuable with the team total, not as high for green Bay Detroit, having a pretty good run defense and Dylan hasn't been that efficient. My guess is he could end up a guy that's not, not like crazy owned, but maybe owned too much for his upside. If people are just circulating base projections from around the industry, cause it'd be hard for him to not project as a good value because of the overall workload. So um, early on, I'm a little bit bearish on, on Dylan in, in tournaments. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. We'll talk more about Dylan in base on established show tomorrow. But yeah, at 17%, AJ Dylan, even on three game slate, scares me a little bit. The one that scares me a lot, Peter, is Christian Watson coming in at 20 plus percent. He's very cheap at 4,300. Roll remains good, scored a touchdown last week, but was out targeted by, I mean, everyone, Wicks, Musgrave. The reason he's projecting well in this game, or at least projecting reasonably, is because of all the injuries that they have. We are projecting Luke Musgrave out. We are projecting Dontavian Wicks out. I mean, they are a mess right now. Still, 4,300 Christian Watson, if he gets steamed up, strikes me as a pretty good fade. Peter, any thoughts on Packers pass catchers here? Yeah, Christian Watson had a, another play where he made a nice catch. That was almost a touchdown. Um, I think he would have been out at the one, only one foot in bounds. But they targeted him in the red zone. I do think the best play in this game is the other receiver at his price, who I actually think we are too low on in terms of the projection. That's Jaden Reed. Mm -hmm. uh, super high throughout the best ball season on Jaden Reed. Uh, we always had him ranked here at ETR higher than kind of the market. Yeah. Have a ton of him. And the thing that's exciting to me, and I think that is relevant for this slate and uh, relevant in this game, he had a bunch of rush attempts. I think he had three rush attempts last week. They're going to yeah. use him with the change of direction stuff, and especially given the lack of speed and just kind of what they have with Dylan at running back, I would expect him to get three, four, five rush attempts potentially in this game, definitely involved in the short passing game, and I think he's one of the better plays on the slate. Um, so that's someone that I, I really like uh, in general. Uh, we need him for our best ball teams, and, yeah, he's explosive. I mean, he was awesome at Michigan State. I played him a ton in college football DFS too. He's a baller and uh, he's coming on strong. So yeah, I think I prefer Reed to Watson straight up. And especially if we have this ownership, like I'll probably be in on, on Jane Reed. Yes. Agreed. I, I like that. And I would say the Wicks injury is big for Reed. Reed and Wicks were kind of sharing time with Wicks out. It went to full Reed. And I think Peter's point, given their 
given their running back situation, Reed getting carries, I think is super interesting. Leone, I don't know, man. Jordan Love stacks seem way too thin for me in this spot. We have that around 11%. However, I am not the King GPP, bro. Would you consider Jordan Love stacks on this slate? I would. It, to some extent, I think they're more interesting than like, let's say, Geno stacks as contrarian stacks where at least like it seems like our Sims are picking up on a larger range of outcomes on <laughs> on love where like he's not that good. He completes a low percentage of passes, but his yards per completion is so high that the tail outcomes get pretty good if you can hit some of those longer plays throughout the game. Um I'm a little bit more into Christian Watson than I think you guys are. I mean, we'll see where the final ownership comes in because that's a big deal. But I do think some of these like big play guys can just run bad for a stretch of games. And then all of a sudden we see him hit like two long balls in the same game. Like I don't think the ceilings evaporated that we saw last year. So, uh, but to Peter's point in yards per out run, Jaden Reed's at 1.82 Watson's at 1.21 Dobbs is at 1.27. So he's clearly been the most efficient receiver. Wix has actually been pretty good in like a very limited role, but we're expecting him out too. So um, yeah, I guess the last thing to talk about with Green Bay is if in the large field stuff, it's worth playing any of the like Samari Toure types um, just on the back end. I think probably not, but they are, you know, pretty thin. Uh, we didn't really talk about tight end either with Musgrave. Yeah. Uh, we're I, expecting that to be, to be cracked. I was going to say that I think Tucker Craft 6'5", 254, ran a 4'6", 9", which is not bad. For his size 34 inch vertical he is an athletic guy who is going to get a big chance now and he is stone minimum 2500 again we expect luke Mus musgrave out for this game obviously we're gonna have to come up on tucker craft ownership here but yeah i think that's an interesting one as a touchdown bet as part of love stacks or part of game stacks here in this game Real quick on the on the Jordan Love stacks, here's where I think it could make sense. I do agree it's thin relative to some of the other quarterbacks, but this is the type of lineup that I think uh, I could I could see working. Oh, you go Love, Watson, Reed, and then you stack the stud running backs. You go McCaffrey, Pollard, Gibbs because of the savings. And basically, what you're hoping is that you're getting rushing touchdowns from the 49ers, the Lions, mm -hmm. and Dallas. And your team doesn't even project that bad because love's cheap. Obviously, the, the DAC stacks are going to project better. But you do something along those lines, and that's a way the games could definitely play out is, you know, Pollard gets two touchdowns. McCaffrey gets a lot of the work and scores two touchdowns. Maybe Gibbs and Montgomery and, you know, Goff doesn't throw for a lot of touchdowns. Like, that path makes a little bit of sense to me. I definitely prefer that to the Seahawks stuff. I know we're going to talk about Geno, but – I'm I, I'm going to be too worried to play Gino in the passing game, I think, after what we saw last week. Yeah, and, and to Peter's point, from a construction standpoint, if you fade the high-priced wide receiver, what you're saying is that CD, Amonra, Ayuk, DK Metcalf get outscored by McCaffrey, Gibbs, Pollard types, right? And like that's like Peter said, I think that's certainly... Certainly, certainly play Debo Samuel on that lineup like Debo could score a rushing touchdown for San Francisco too you play Debo and McCaffrey together and like that's how they score their points there's just be thoughtful when you're making these teams like Leone said up front it's like how could these games play out and does your roster construction make sense for like a way that the games could play out where you can win yeah I like Packers, that a lot Packers are just putting everyone on the injury report Jaden Reed was just released today on the injury report as a limited participant apparently Ugh. so I mean, but they have like 100 guys on there, like Dylan's on there. I, I'm not going to be worried about it until uh, we get the final report tomorrow. All right. Let's move to the second game. The second game is a classic Thanksgiving Day battle that we always get, seemingly, between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington football team, a.k.a. the Commanders. Let's go ahead and start on the Dallas side here, Leone. This is going to be, I think, the most owned the most popular side. And you get that because Washington's defense is egregious. I mean, they just let Tommy DeVito absolutely shred them. <laughs> they, they traded away. They traded away Chase Young and Montez Sweat. I mean, their secondary has been awful. The kid they took in the first round, they can't even put on the field as their cornerback. He's so small. And then you also get Dallas coming in here white hot. So from an ownership perspective, it is going to be a freight train, I think, for everyone, Sim bros, Opto bros, 
hand builder bros. Everyone is going to be on Dallas. When you see something like this, you know, you're on a three game slate where everyone is piling into one side. I don't know that we can fade this whole team. So how do you think about Dallas stuff here? Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. You kind of got to get a handle on how owned is it? Like, obviously it's going to be very owned. We have Dak at 32% large field, even though there's, there's six quarterbacks on the site, 37% small field. Like that's pretty crazy when there's six quarterbacks, but it, does it get to like 50 plus really in small field? Like then you start to get pretty worried at current ownership. We just have him projecting so much better than the other quarterbacks with such a you know, positive range of outcomes that I think it's still probably pretty good. Um, we have CD Lamb. And the other thing, too, to watch is like CD Lamb's ownership versus Amon Ross St. Brown. We have them similarly owned right now, but with a much better projection on CD. So that makes CD one of the better plays actually relative to ownership, even though he's chalky. So I have a feeling we're going to come up on the Dallas ownership. But as it stands now, I actually think. You know, if, if it were to hold, the Dallas stacks would be pretty good to play. Just they've their pass rate over expectation out of the bye week. You know, I've been hitting it on every week, but they've been plus 15%, plus nine, plus nine and a half, plus 4% last week, and a pretty easy win against Carolina. Like they've clearly had an identity shift coming out of the bye week. Dallas is extremely efficient. Dak's awesome. They're facing a pass defense that you mentioned that gives up big plays. I know in props, we took the over on. Dak's attempts and yardage already. So I know I think the Dallas ownership would have to get really, really high for me to say, like, you can't play them. Um, I think you can mix that chalk in and, and then maybe, you know, figure out some other ways to leverage off it. So to me, this was been like, and get ready to drink. To me, this has been like one of the best use cases of the Sims is like, yeah, Dak is going to be the most owned. Dallas stuff is going to be the most owned but it still might not be owned enough, right? And I couldn't really get my yeah. head around that. There's a way to get your head around that by putting lineups through the sim and see if it's actually too owned. In terms of too owned, Peter, our old friend, Tony Pollard, showed some God. life. I mean, that was a awesome Sick touchdown. Run. Awesome touchdown run. However, his usage was in line with kind of what I expected. I mean, he continued to be somewhat inefficient as a runner, even against Carolina. They did get him four catches in that game. They weren't that high quality of catches it's another incredible matchup here for tony pollard rico dowdle is on the injury report again with that ankle but he was able to play through it last week so yeah how do you think about pollard i mean 43 percent pollard strikes me as a lot yeah i think there's a couple ways you can go about it i mean you can go hey dallas is in the best spot ever short slate i'm just going to onslaught it i think that's going to be somewhat popular i think there's obviously most people are going to have a lot of Dallas pieces. So you play Dak, you play Pollard, you play Lamb, you play another pass catcher, and you just go with it. Maybe even play Dallas D and just say, hey, it's just going to be annihilation. And there's not going to be that many points uh, everywhere else. The other way to look at it would be say, okay, I'm going to load up on the, the Dallas passing game. Pollard doesn't score a touchdown again. We've seen those games. We've seen what those look like. You can play Dak and three pass catchers. Those are going to do pretty well uh, based on what I've seen in the Sims so far. Um, and you can load up, you know, maybe a, a receiving receiver on the Washington side. Uh, the other option, which this is the one I'm trying to figure out, like how much leverage do you get playing like Pollard, Cowboys D, maybe one other piece and just hope, hey, Dallas scores two defensive touchdowns. Pollard's the one getting rushing touchdowns and Dallas doesn't throw a ton. And like somehow these pieces don't get there in like the best matchup. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how to think about that. It doesn't seem like it's what's going to happen, but that's, again, the GPP bro stuff. And I, from what I've done, limited yeah. work, it doesn't seem like that's great, but curious your perspective, Leone. No, I think that makes sense. And I guess two things. One, right now we have Pollard, like relative to ownership and odds of being in the optimal lineup as over-owned and CD Lamb as under-owned. But with that said, the one thing I found like building the lineups through Solver and whatnot is some of the guys that have, let's say like negative leverage score, if you say like odds of being in the optimal relative to ownership is like you're less likely to be in the optimal than the ownership would indicate. In the right lineups, those guys still can make a ton of sense. Like it's not a blanket thing where, okay, this guy's negative leverage, don't play him. Um, and the way you're talking about playing Pollard is extremely thoughtful. Like play him with the Dallas defense. Howell could take a million sacks in this game, even though his sack rate's been a bit better recently. Fade the Dallas passing game where Dak's going to be extremely popular. 
and then just get on one of the other stacks. Like you don't even have to get, you know, we like the love stack. I think it's contrarian, but you could also just get on the Detroit stack or the, the Gino or not the Gino, the San Francisco stack with it too. Yeah. Um, the onslaught here, I think is going to be popular, but I've been doing a ton of these onslaughts in small field Fanduel, where like Peter said, I would play Dak, CD, Ferguson, Pollard, and you can only play four on Fanduel. But if I could play five, you know, on DraftKings and Cowboys, you know, and like trying to just get, they're going to score 30, 40 points in this game. I think that's really likely. And I try to capture like all of that in a lineup at the same time. I definitely think that's viable. The problem is Leone, I'm not sure out to what field size that's viable. Like I'm talking about playing that in 80 person fields. How in a three game slate, how small does the field need to be for you to go full onslaught on a team? Yeah, I mean, that's tough. Like I was messing around simming the game changer, which is 212 entries on DraftKings. And a couple of the best lineups are like full on onslaughts in that field size. Um, I think you, you know, it's tough. Like as Peter said, though, this is a better slate than we've had in the past, which makes it a little bit more challenging because if you're, you know, fading like five crappy teams, that's one thing, but you're fading Detroit with a 28 team total. You're fading, you know, San Francisco with McCaffrey as one of the most consistent fantasy players out there and Purdy as the most efficient quarterback. So, mm-hmm. um, I probably like it a little bit better or a little bit worse than it's been simmed, um, from what I've seen. So I I'd say like maybe more like hundred person contests or less. And when you start to get outside of that, I'd probably try and be a bit more picky with how uh you play it yeah last thing for me is the role change for michael gallup i mean they're not even playing this guy anymore they're giving like jalen tolbert routes ahead of michael gallup meanwhile brandon cooks i think remains a featured part of the offense there all right that's what i was going to bring up regardless yeah i was the tolbert gallup stuff is like interesting where tolbert's had a double digit target share three weeks in a row gallup's routes are dropping um, I'm curious to see where the ownership falls on those two players. I have a feeling people are going to play Gallup because the name recognition, but the projections like across the industry actually slightly tilt the way of Tolbert as you know, you can kind of see ours do as well with the same raw projection and Tolbert at a lower salary. All right. Real, real quick on the cook stuff. I mean, I, I agree. Tolbert Gallup are interesting. It's a small slate. So one of those could end up, I would definitely lean Tolbert given the reduction in Gallup's role, but Cooks is like the epitome of like the pivot that I think makes a ton of sense. You play a ton of Dak and you just go heavy Brandon Cooks who just came off a huge game two weeks ago. Um, Indoors, historically, he has huge splits indoors um, and obviously at any point in time could bust a long touchdown. I think he's finally getting his rhythm with his team and yeah, he's not going to project super well, uh, just given how many options they have with Ferguson and CeeDee Lamb being a target monster. But he doesn't need that many catches to have a huge game and be like the person you have to have given his price. So Cooks is one of my favorite plays on the slate. I, I can't believe we don't have this on the drinking card. But Peter, what about the uh, Turpin Dallas defense double dip? Mm. The double dip. Gosh, the double dip. Uh, I don't think there's enough there <laughs> for this slate. If it was a shittier slate, maybe. But. Yeah. I, I'm not going to play it, but I will say that Turpin was the most unbelievable return I've ever seen in the XFL this past year, and he's continued to do that in the NFL. I mean, he's undoubtedly one of the best returners in, in the whole game. All right, let's go to the Washington side here, Leone. So what you get with Washington is known game plan. Sam Howell is going to drop back at an absurd rate in this game. That's just what he does every week. You also get a really wide target share. They're going to throw to six, seven, eight guys in this game, will Sam Howell. We also know Sam Howell is going to take a ton of sacks. From an injury perspective right now, we are projecting Antonio Gibson out for now, but he was listed, I think, limited with this toe issue. He's just been having a toe issue for so long. That one scares me a lot. Brian Robinson has caught 13 balls over the last two weeks, which I was not sure was even in him. So difficult spot for Leon, for Sam Howell here, Leone, you're asking him to drop back 40 times, 40 plus times against arguably the best pass rusher, one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. It is hard to see him having success in this setup, but that is why we have 10% large field, 7% small field projected. Leone, what are your thoughts on commander stuff in tournaments? Yeah, I mean, 
I think Howell might be, a, I, mean, I don't know, we don't have his ownership that high. His over-under in the prop market right now is 39.5 for pass attempts. So, like, that's a huge number for a quarterback like Sam Howell. So, the market's definitely expecting him to chuck. How efficient he's actually going to be on those attempts is a different story. Um, I think the Howell stuff might be, I don't know if I'd say overplayed, like, because he's not that owned, but when I was looking at stuff initially, I wasn't like that into it. We do run into this situation. I played it last week against the giants where I thought their scoring expectation was a lot higher and they were disappointing. Um, but it, it's always difficult to tell exactly who it's going to go right. to. Um, and we'll see where the Curtis Samuel ownership comes in at. We have it kind of high right now because he's like the quote unquote safest of like the really cheap guys. I'm wondering if it comes in meaningfully lower if people like, get on Jamison Williams and some of the Dallas guys. So I want to track that. But right now I'm not like super interested in Samuel at 25% ownership. And then just circling back to the Brian Robinson thing, he played 78% of the team snaps last week with Gibson out. He had previously been, I don't think, I think week one, he was at 61%. That was his previous high, but he's mostly been around like 50, 50 in terms of snaps played. So that was a really big bump for him last week. The, the problem is that if Antonio Gibson is active for this game and they get behind, which I expect them to do, you probably end up seeing a lot of Antonio Gibson. So I think like not the cleanest spot at all for Brian Robinson here. We have McLaurin at 30% ownership, Peter, but gosh, and, and like close your eyes, bet on talent, Terry McLaurin, 5,400. I get it, but the matchup and 30% and how much they're spreading around, that seems like bad chalk. To me, Peter, any thoughts overall on commander stuff? Yeah, the first thing that stands out is the Curtis Samuel. I mean, he got ejected last game. Uh, I would expect Jamison Williams to be, you know, maybe not more owned, but like very similar. Like, I, it's a to me, it's like a more comfortable click um, than than Curtis Samuel in some regards. So uh, that's the ownership that stands out to me. I would expect that to trend down. Uh, I do think Terry McLaurin's really interesting. And then, how is Chris Rodriguez? 4,600 because that should be like a 3k play that like if if I know. you know Gibson's rolled out and yeah shout out to Dink and Leona you guys were talking about Chris <laughs> Rodriguez on the Savage Civilian that was hilarious uh so <laughs> I, I don't know why he's 40 one. why is he 40 why is he so expensive yeah his salary went up on FanDuel too I mean I guess three game slate the salary goes up um it's always a little bit easier to get creative on FanDuel with a wider salary spread but that's annoying I do think like if um if Gibson did end up playing, I think people would be afraid to play him off injury. And just because he wasn't in projections most of the week. And as you said, Adam, the game script could really go his way where he'd be, he'd be pretty appealing to me if he ends up in. Um, Howell is our fourth projected quarterback, but he's in the same ownership bucket as Goff, Howell, Love, Gino. In other words, we have Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott separating in ownership. Howell and the rest of these guys behind we have pretty similar base projections on Howell, Love, Goff, Gino all within 1.7 points of each other. Leonie, what do you think about Howell stacks here? Do you like yeah. Howell stacks at all? I mean, I don't right now. Like I'd rather play the cheaper Love stacks and do kind of what Peter said where you can like get in the extremely high projected running backs. At expensive salaries, or I'd rather play golf at not that much more ownership and a much better team total. And we'll see if our ownership's off. We're going to like go through a thorough update tomorrow. That might change, but I do think that the bit you can see that you know we do have golf and Howell somewhat close, but we prefer the range of outcomes on the team that's projected to score a lot more than Washington. All right. Do you, do you guys remember that run that I mean Hal had for the touchdown? That was outrageous. He can I mean, run. That was the play that Curtis, yeah. that Curtis Samuel got ejected. I mean, he was in, and then that like it, he didn't know if he was in, then he ran again, and that was <laughs> one of the more impressive runs I've seen all season. Um, so I, I don't love it either. I kind of agree with you, Leonia. My lean is not to go there, but the rushing, the rushing creates kind of a different level of ceiling. Uh, and if you just look at his game log, he's had some big games. So I. I I'm with you. I just, I'm not going to throw him out. Um, I'm still trying to get a gauge on ownership too, obviously, but I, I do think the rushing element plus them being down in a big way 
in some scenarios where he can just get a ton of garbage time points, makes him interesting. Yeah, the thing I'd say on him, again, when you have a 39 and a half attempts line, like if he's attempting 40 plus passes, if he can actually be somewhat decent, like there's some correlation there where if he's like not good, he's going to throw more because there's more incomplete passes. But there's going to be, especially on DraftKings and full PPR, it's going to be tough to pick the right pass catchers. But if you do, the upside is going to be there because there's going to be a lot of catch volume potentially like his completions line is around 25, which is kind of crazy against Dallas, but we have him like not too far off that. So that's probably the most appealing part of Howell is like, if you can run pure on efficiency, there's not really going to be another quarterback that's going to drop back as much as him. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard for me to see efficiency in this spot for him against Dallas, but obviously crazier things have happened. Uh, George in Rhode Island says, Peter, any insight on betting lines? for these games peter have you made any bets yet on these games uh, no. where's the market been going no bets for me yet uh generally bet day before and day of for longevity but uh yeah this will be this is a crazy week of betting um college football is, is something i'm betting a lot more of and it's it's going to be wild with uh the friday saturday slate but yeah sunday sunday should be interesting thursday will be interesting um no insights on the betting side. Uh, did get a lucky Packers Packers win, uh, which I touted on on the last show. So happy nice. that they won, uh, and that was that was lucky. Finally got ran pure in the regard that um, that we got a fumble uh, in the red zone from the Chargers late in the game. Uh, any betting stories? Opinion is two sips uh, for anyone actually playing the game out there. So cheers. All right. Let's go to the nightcap, which will be an NFC West showdown between the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. We can go ahead and start on the San Francisco side here. What you saw last week when everyone was healthy is, I think, the way that San Francisco can win the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy only threw really to four guys. Jawan Jennings got one target, but every other target went to Ayuk, Kittle, Debo, CMC. I mean... That is an outrageous quartet to be throwing to. They're also one of the most talented teams in the NFL. On the defensive side of the ball, Christian McCaffrey's price has come down. He was 9,300 on the main slate. He's now 8,700. I suspect he's going to be the most owned player on this entire slate. Let's start there, Leone. I would never call Christian McCaffrey bad chalk. In small field, though, he could get up to 60, 70%. I don't think it's crazy depending on this on the buy-in and how big the field is so how are you thinking about handling McCaffrey on the slate Leonie yeah that's where like I think you got to get a gauge of how many people go studs and duds and if McCaffrey you think he does get to 70 percent does that mean CD Lamb is, is like held in check somewhat and that's where you could maybe play leverage off of CMC but you know not someone as you said like I'm looking to actively fade his touchdown equity so high his pass game role is good San Francisco in general, I still think there's a ceiling that Purdy could hit that he hasn't yet. You know, he hasn't broken, I think, like into the 30s in DraftKings points. He's been close the last two weeks. He's averaged 25 and a half pass attempts per game the last two weeks, like extremely low. And he's thrown for over 600 yards and he's thrown for six touchdowns. It's just absolutely wild, the efficiency in this offense. They just really haven't been pushed. You know, the one game they were pushed was the Cincinnati game, but he didn't play that well. Um, and he threw for 365 yards in that game. If he was a little bit more efficient in that game, it could have been like absolutely bonkers. So there's part of me that just sees a huge ceiling here. I tend to think Ayuk's ownership is going to come up based on the recent performance. But um, yeah, this is the team that to me is probably most challenging to figure out and most important to figure out for this slate. Yeah, I mean, the GP bro, GPP bro in me is like, oh, 70% small field Christian McCaffrey, easy fade. However, man, I do not think that's the case. This guy's role is yeah. absolutely insane. And I would agree with Leonie. I mean, I want to play Brock Purdy stuff every week. Love the Purdy stuff. You get a price gap here, Peter, between Ayuk and Debo of 1100, which is kind of pushing ownership a bit that way. But to Leonie's point, I do think we need to come up on the Ayuk ownership. And I certainly prefer Ayuk. I mean, we have it 2.7 points apart in, in base projection. I think that's about right right now between Ayuk and Debo. Obviously, Debo can take a two-yard pass and turn it into an 80-yard touchdown 
at any time. Peter, what do you think about Ayuk Debo and anything else 49ers? Yeah, I was bummed to see the, the ownership projection we currently have on Debo because Debo to me just seems like the nut GPP play uh, before ownership, just based on kind of old school DFS. You know, most people would just look at the game logs. They'd see Ayuk's been going off. Debo hasn't done much, had the injury. And we've seen so many times throughout Debo's career. I mean, this is one of the best runners in the NFL, period. Like, he can do it on a catch. He can do it on a run. Debo can turn basically any play into a long touchdown. And I'm going to bet on talent. But at 27%, that's that's not what I'm looking to click as much um, yeah. relative to some of the other guys. So we'll see how ownership shakes out. But my first initial lean was I want to – be early on Debo having some breakout games. He's one of the best players in the NFL. I think he's truly uh, just an exceptional weapon on the 49ers offense. But yeah, if people are going to play a ton of him, then you're not really, you're not gaining that much. And Ayuk, I mean, I think uh, they said on, on Sunday that he has the highest yards per catch uh, in the NFL. He's been extremely efficient, obviously coming up a huge game. Uh, teams are selling out to stop the run and everything else that the 49ers do. So I expect him to continue to win and have big games. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of tricky given where we have projections and ownership right now. There's not like a standout play when initially first looking at the slate, I was like, oh, this is a great spot to be early on Debo. Um, but, yeah, yeah, if everyone else is thinking the same thing, then that's that's not good. I, I thought it was encouraging that George Kittle had a pretty good game or really good game, even with Debo in the lineup this past week. You know what you're getting with Kittle. He could airball. He can absolutely go nuts and break the slate. Leone, how would you think about playing Purdy stacks? My Purdy stacks are typically on main slates. My Purdy stacks have been with McCaffrey and one pass catcher, i.e. Purdy, McCaffrey, Debo, or Purdy, McCaffrey, Ayuk, or Purdy, McCaffrey, Kittle. I could see doing something different here on a three-game slate. How would you be thinking about stacking Purdy? Yeah, I think if I'm playing Debo, I'm not playing Ayuk and CMC, you know, because Debo is somewhat leverage off both those guys in different ways where, like, he can get the rushing touchdown away from CMC and he's going to take some password from Ayuk. I think you can certainly play him with one of those two guys, but I don't think I played those three. I know our odds of being in the optimal lineup have Kittle as a positive leverage, you know, relative to his ownership on both sides by a decent bit. And Kittle's tough because when everybody's healthy, the floor is just not that great, but on a small slate, if you get one of those Kittle games, he could be one of those guys where you just like absolutely have to have him in your lineup. You know, like CMC could put up 30 and there's some weird routes where like you don't have to have him, maybe not 30, but like 25 and you don't have to have him. But if Kittle has one of his huge games with the way the tight end position looks, um, he may be the guy you absolutely have to have. And I don't really see his ownership getting meaningfully higher than we have it. So, other tight ends on this slate are Jake Ferguson, Sam Laporta, Logan Thomas. I mean, to me, that's like the only threats whatsoever to Kittle separating. Now, Kittle is 6K. Ferguson's only 3,900. Logan Thomas is 3,500. Laporta is 5,200 on DraftKings. But I guess my point is that it wouldn't be that. Like, you wouldn't need even a Kittle nuclear game for him to separate. Mm -hmm. Kittle could get 16, and every other tight end could easily get, like, 7. And at that point, you probably need Kittle. You may not have to have him, but you probably need Kittle if he outscores the entire rest of the position by like 12. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the the field might not double tight end as much as they should, you know, especially on FanDuel where they're probably not used to doing it as much, which is, I know people don't like to do that. It feels gross, but I think on this slate, it might call for it. I do think, and we were looking at Laporta's target share, and it's hard to tell if this like noise or like splits, you know, Actually, that actually matter, but when both the running backs have been active, his target share has been like a little bit more muted, and the play calling has been a little bit more towards the run heavy way. So, like, I prefer Kittle as the spend to Laporta at where the ownership is right now. Uh, last thing on the Niners, Peter, the defense we have as the second best defense on the slate, just from raw Cowboys, clearly the best against Sam Howell here but yeah you get 49ers lions as kind of the second tier of defenses and then you get seahawks commanders packers below that i think on these short slates defense can be very very important you know i, I don't i think people from a portfolio perspective if they're making a lot of lineups like to just get a certain amount of exposure to virtually all the defenses on a slate like this because if one scores a touchdown you don't have it you're pretty much done 
which is a horrible feeling. But yeah, I don't know, Peter, how are you thinking about defense for this slate for someone who doesn't play a full 150 set? I mean, Cowboys are the obvious one, just given how much Sam Howell's going to drop back, all the attempts, the sacks he's taken. Obviously, it's gotten a little bit better recently, but Dallas is hands down the best play just from an equity perspective. But the 49ers is probably my favorite GPP defense, and there's one path that we'll talk about the Seahawks in a second, but I'm not totally sure what's going on with Geno. It didn't look good. Uh, I know he came back in, but like, if he's not 100% and we see Drew Locke, I mean – that's a good recipe for a defense. When Drew Locke's out there, he's got a lot of swag and confidence, and he'll throw some interceptions in a hurry. Uh, what did he play, like one or two series, and he threw an interception? So, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm all for uh, hoping that that path you know, comes to fruition at all. If there's any uncertainty around Geno's health, like that he's going to play the whole game, or even you know in the, the scenario where somehow he's not starting, like that's going to really help the 49ers defense. So. My concern overall on the 49ers is that uh, Seattle won't be able to push it uh, and keep this game close. Um, but the line's close to seven, so maybe that's wrong thinking given it's a divisional game. Um, but I, I'm nervous for Seattle with, with Geno Smith being banged up. All right. That's a good transition to the Seattle side of things. So to be clear on Geno's injury, this is a contusion, a.k.a. a bruise. They looked at his tricep. They looked at his elbow. There's nothing structural. He was able to come back into the game. I fully expect... Gino to start in this game. However, they said there's swelling, there's soreness, again, a contusion at his tricep slash elbow. I think, depending on how the reporting goes with this, you know, if Schefter comes out and says that Gino's 100%, he's going to be fine, I could see Gino being owned a little bit more than we have it. If there's nothing or he's truly questionable for this game and they list him questionable, I could see him coming in at like no ownership. So this is the last game. An emergency swap, I guess, could be Gino. Again, I think if there's bad re- vibes around him, he could come in really low owned. Certainly don't like the spot for him, Leonie. How do you think about Gino as we sit here Tuesday evening? Yeah, I'm just like worried the ceiling's not there on Gino. I do think, you know, Seattle's going to pass more than usual, just given the matchup being an underdog and with Kenneth Walker out um, and, you know, Charbonnet being more of a pass catcher. I think. Like, I think the pass rate's going to be good, but, you know, I think the ceiling's more like he throws a lot, like decent completion rate, but doesn't get down the field a ton and has like a 250 and two game, which, you know, on a small slate could get you there, but there's some other bets that I'd rather make. It's also tough ownership wise. Like, I mean, everyone's going to be owned on a small slate, but I think JSN, you know, people are going to chase that. It was nice to see his ADOT up a little bit more. He had some good air yards last week. Um, but I'm most interested in Charbonnet at running back, even if he's somewhat chalky. I just think like there's a chance he plays almost every down right. in this spot. Yeah. So to be clear, Kenneth Walker has this oblique thing, almost certainly going to be out of this game if he hasn't been ruled out already. Charbonnet in a different matchup at this price would be like 80% owned. I, I feel yeah. like if, if they were playing the commanders and Charbonnet was 5,300, he would be outrageously owned because it's the 49ers. People are going to shy away at least a little bit here. I don't want to miss a chance to be in on Charbonnet. This was one of my most drafted players in best ball. Think that he can, as you saw last week, ran awesome, broke a ton of tackles and caught six balls. So I like Charbonnet. The matchup is obviously difficult. Peter, any Seattle overall thoughts here? Yeah, I love Charbonnet. Played him, I feel like, over half the slates last year in college football too at UCLA. Just a total stud. Um, electric in the passing game. I really like him as a runner. Uh, it's obviously a tough matchup, but I would expect it, uh, kind of my, my initial read, given what we know about the injury is that Gino will be maybe slightly limited just given that it's his, his throwing arm and maybe he's not going to have the same explosiveness throwing the ball down the field. So what kind of game plan is that going to lead to a lot of short passes, more screens, things of that nature. Um, and I think that sets up so well for Charbonnet. Like he's one of their best players in space. Uh, the other concern I have uh, about Seattle is, you know, Lockett was definitely, I mean, we knew he was going to play. You, Adam, you said you were like 95% sure that he was going to play, but again, short week. Uh, so as Lockett's not quite a hundred percent, Gino's not a hundred percent. I just, I worry a little bit for this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the good news for Seattle 
uh, is that they're at home here and and maybe they can get things turned around a little quicker. Uh, I was just looking at the line movement. Um, let's see here. Yeah, this has actually come off seven to six and a half in most places, which is actually a big move. So maybe there's some optimism. I haven't seen the reports yet out, out of the day, but I want to hear more. This is probably the most important spot of the of the week is just understanding Seattle health situation and specifically around Geno and how to play it. But yeah, Charbonnet is a, a no-brainer play. Yeah, so I think Lockett's going to play, but I agree with you. He seems quite banged up right now. Would lead me to liking JSN uh, a decent amount here. However, the problem, Leone, like you said, is that playing Geno doubles or even just playing these guys as one-offs is going to be going into a bunch of ownership. Like I think JSN one-off, DK Metcalf one-off are interesting plays, even if you don't want to use Geno. But God, I don't know if that's good at 20 plus percent. So yeah, any thoughts on the Metcalf, Lockett, JSN stuff? Yeah, I mean, right now, I think we're probably most negative around the industry on Lockett, like projecting him to be limited. So I'm I'm off of him and would be more on to either JSN or Metcalf. It's difficult because like, I think 20% is not great, but at the same time, it's a three game slate. Like guys are going to be owned. You might just have to run into like the absolute perfect combination. And I think, you know, JSN, is the one I'm struggling with the most because it's a young kind of ascending player. We really liked him as a prospect. The air yards were a little bit better last week. Like you could definitely tell yourself a story with JSN to try and get there. But um, I think ultimately I'm going to be pretty bearish on the passing game for Seattle here. Um, and yeah, the tight end distribution has been so annoying. So it's not like you can really make a stab there, even in GPP. All right. Anything else to say on this game, or are we ready to move to the flag plant portion of the program? I think I'm ready for flag plants. I don't really see too much here that's like not crazy gal brained. And it's tougher to crazy galaxy brain this slate than past Thanksgiving slates. You know, Peter's hit on this a couple of times, but like we actually have three really strong offenses and high expected scoring teams. So it's not like you know, Jawan Jennings scores a random touchdown. He's still probably like a dog to be in the optimal lineup. So it's a little bit tougher from that aspect. Right. All right. Uh, Mike says, are these drink cups filled with <laughs> apple and grape juice way too coherent here? You're not wrong, buddy. We messed che up. Cheers. Cheers. I was going to say, how was Peter not mentioning college football on the drinking card game? That I mentioned college football. It. Yeah, that yeah. would have done it for sure. It wasn't. We also game. we said we said Sims a million oh, times. God. Yeah, and we we definitely didn't live up to our drinking obligations on the Sims commentary. Yeah, there's there's five cups there. Uh... <laughs> <coughs> oh, Levitt, I'm on East Coast time. It's, it's evening for me. You guys are like in the afternoon. So oh yeah, it's four o'clock. Oh, I got a big... dad score records. Nanny's about to leave. Got the kids on duty here in a second. This is, this is this is trouble. All right. Reminder, we will be back. Myself, Silva, and Wiggins tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. to go through hashtag team play the best plays. We won't be worrying about ownership on that show. We'll strictly be talking about what we think the best plays are for that slate. We will wrap up here with just a fun flag plan. For those guys who are not subscribers, it's something that Dink and Leone do. Each Saturday morning on Establish the Million, they give a flag plant. The idea is to try to find someone somewhat low-owned to take a stand on here for tournaments. Obviously, it is harder to find someone low-owned yeah. on a three-game slate. So we will be liberal with the ownership projections here. Leone, I'll give you the floor. We'll do oh, one. I, I, I mean, this, I can't go first. This it's, is, it's, you, it's only you guys are the honored guests. One one flag plant. The real hundred guests. <laughs> one one flag plant for a three game slate. Normally they do two flag plants. And by the way, uh, for subscribers, establish the million and establish the show. Normal schedule, main slate for Sunday. All normal schedule, all for subscribers. Uh, uh, totally normal schedule there. So yeah, Leone, I implore you to go first here. All right. Um... I'm afraid this player is going to get like wish casted by everybody and like end up like 20% owned. But if he is more like 10% owned, I think Jameson Williams is a really fun play to start off this slate. Gives you some late swap, you know, knowledge 
right off the bat as far as what you should do with the rest of your lineup. We mentioned the route share being up. Really big play guy. We haven't necessarily seen a ton of huge plays from this year, but we found seen him find the end zone. So I'll go with Jamison Williams to kick off the slate. JMO for Mr. Leone. Yes, long time coming for Jamison Williams. I mean, if you want to get excited about Jamison Williams, I know this is Peter's bit, but man, he was go. unreal at Alabama. I mean, I'm not go like, watch YouTube highlights. Let's YouTube go. Highlights. <laughs> go, to YouTube. Cheers. <laughs> go to the Cheers. Go to the YouTube. JMO YouTube. Put in Jamison Williams, Alabama, and you you will get so close to a full 3.9 inches. I mean, this dude was on fire at Alabama. All right. <laughs> okay, Peter, go ahead. I almost did the. I almost brought like my volcano in here and just smoked weed instead of the, the entire time instead of drinking, which may may have been better. It's maybe worse. <laughs> Might have been worse in a lot of ways. But uh, uh, real quick, be a little sappy here, but uh, truly thankful for you guys. Thankful for the ETR community. Um, you know, I know you hate this holiday, Levitan, but uh, love you guys. Cheers. Yeah. Thankful. Cheers. Yes. Yes. Thankful for everybody well, watching Peter, really too. I mean, we thankful and for you dink. guys. This and to Dink too. But seriously, like without the people watching, I mean, I know I joke all the time. It, we're sitting here drinking at 4 p.m. in the afternoon talking about football. I mean, can't it got to be grateful for it. So although I hate Thanksgiving, I, I am thankful for sure. Anyways, go ahead, Peter. With your flag, I'm also I'm also thankful for all the college football games and 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 hopefully thankful for the money that I potentially can make. But uh, yeah, I need to win some NFL DFS. Not my best season so far, so hopefully get it going here. I love the JMO call. I was gonna for sure fly plant Jane Reed. I'll do another one just because I'm a little worried. They're saying he's on the end report. We're not really worried yet, but just in case, uh, the other person I'd say is Brandon Cooks, who. This Dallas offense, we want a ton of pieces around it. I think it makes sense to do the onslaughts. I like the Brandon Cooks with Dak with like Lamb and Ferguson or Lamb and Pollard or whatever you want to do as a one-off. But I also think he could play, you know, with like a Purdy stack or whatever. So Cooks could really break the slate, has a lot of upside. His role has been a lot better recently. And he's indoors where historically over his career, he's just been electric. So Brandon Cooks is my flag plant. Yes. Brandon Cooks, who was a big part of breaking the slate two weeks ago for uh, that Dak stack that Leone had. Um, okay. There's a lot of good running backs on this slate. Christian McCaffrey is grossly underpriced, in my opinion. Jameer Gibbs is everybody's said about Jameer Gibbs, and rightfully so. Tony Pollard against the Commanders. Zach Charbonnet finally gets a full-time role. Brian Robinson, everyone, is excited about, and I think rightfully so. <laughs> My most owned player in best ball is going to get overlooked on this slate, and that would be Mr. David Montgomery. I think when they get around the goal line, I know Jameer Gibbs has scored a bunch of goal line rushes lately. I think when they get around the goal line, their preference is to have David Montgomery in there. Also, for that last two-minute drill in the game uh, last week, it was Dave Montgomery who was in, who buried us in props by somehow catching two catches on the final drive so he's not ruled out of goal line work in fact i think he's a favorite for it he's not ruled out of pass down work in fact i think he'll have a decent amount of it and he's just really good and they're going to try to get 30 35 40 total running back touches in this game we have david montgomery for 10 percent ownership in small field right now i hope me flag planting dave montgomery does not affect that because i really like him for small field david montgomery will be my flag plan. Yeah, the thing with David Montgomery too, um, if what Peter thinks might happen happens where people want to overplay this early game, I mean, David Montgomery is the kind of like, you know, skeleton key to this game failing for a lot of other players. You know, Gibbs fouls, the, the golf stacks foul. Uh, you play the Green Bay passing. You know, maybe you correlate um, Montgomery with the the Detroit defense. Mm -hmm. You can definitely see ways where like everybody else fouls in this game. You start with a clean Montgomery Detroit defense, and then like maybe you can even get like pretty chalky outside of that. So I, I definitely like that call. I know I was on the Jamison thing, but if I'm probably making like lineups with Montgomery and then some other ones that are a little bit more aggressive on the the passing side of things for both teams. Yeah, and if Montgomery hits as a contrarian piece, like Leone's saying, you could just. Go to Dak's Dallas. Yeah, just yeah. go to all the Dallas stuff. So 
So yeah. To, to be clear too, just real quick, because I, I know you just mentioned it again, Leone. Normally that's the case. I've played all these things even sites. Normally the first game of the games are like even or the, the other the first game is like the best game. People just go so ham on it. This this year's a little weird just because I think the Dallas stuff is gonna soak up so much ownership. So I don't I'm not confident it's gonna be overowned even relative to our projections, but I do think there's a bias towards like, hey, Thanksgiving, people are drinking. Yeah, it's like for the first sure. game. I got I gotta go with the family. And the one thing too, like we talked about it again, the most important thing about the slate is just understanding late swap and where you are. And I promise you, high stakes everywhere, people are gonna fuck it up. Like it, it's just a, a day where people get drunk and are with family and whatever else, and they forget to look at their lineup. So that's an advantage for people grinding out there. The, the ownership's definitely a little bit harder to pin down than on a normal Thanksgiving slate. Where, like, like, we had that one slate with like Watson and Fuller and Cooks, and it was like so obvious that Houston would be like crazy owned early. And this slate, like you said, you get Dallas, Washington, are people going to play into that? But then they don't play San Francisco as much. And like, it's really important to keep an eye on things because there's, one team in each game that has a really high ceiling also like what is my accent george says my accent is wild i don't even i don't even know what this accent but well, george is from george is from rhode island so he's up for, he's up in your somewhat neck of the woods there but northeast yeah all right the two game slate too is also great get in there for the two games uh, <laughs> i gotta gotta top that especially with the games we have you know get in there um, people are partying that, that that's another little bit of alpha out there all right Appreciate you all being here one more time. Two things that you need to know for Black Friday sales establish the run.com forward slash Black Friday for anyone who has not tried ETR wants to get a look at the in season package, some outrageous deals there. Second, at the solver again, please go to my Twitter at Adam Levitan, use the link there and use your same ETR email so that everything syncs, but 50% off on the solver all the NFL products over there. Be sure you're following me at Adam Levitan, Leone at two hats, one Mike, Peter at CSU Ram 88. Subscribe button on YouTube is indeed free. Feel free to hit it. This was fun. Appreciate you guys all being here. Sorry we didn't get too hammered, but I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old who need my attention right now, as well as a million other things. So getting hammered was not particularly in the cards, but this was still fun. Four, Leone. Four, Mr. Jennings. I am Adam. Good luck, everybody.